0: Well, good morning again, uh, everybody. We are, uh, as we said last week, reading the Gospels together this fall, and for the first few weeks of that, we're going to be looking at some of the healings of Jesus. Healing uh, is—it's one of the primary ways that Jesus served people, and it is also uh, one of the ways that he described himself a bunch. He—he called himself a servant, the one who came to serve. The one who came for those who are not well, called himself the good shepherd. And the gospel writer Matthew tells us about several healings that Jesus did right after he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And these two, the first two of them uh, that Matthew tells us about were for folks who for one reason or another were outsiders. And so we're going to look at those this morning. I'll read from Matthew 8 for us, verses 1 through 13. You can follow along in the order of worship where it's printed if you'd like, or you can just listen as I read from Matthew 8. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him appealing to him, Lord, When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is God's word and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we just heard that uh, beautiful prophecy in the Old Testament lesson. That there is this day that would come when all of the nations would say, let's go and hear from the Lord. Let's, let's learn about his ways so that we can walk in his paths. And by your grace, that day has begun to dawn and we are those people. And we ask that you would help us, uh, help us to hear, <laughs> help us to listen, help us to be able to have the faith to walk in these ways that you teach us. Meet us all in the place where we are and show us Jesus' grace, change us by it, and we ask this in his name, amen. Well, a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was going through a bunch of uh, stacks of papers in my house trying to clear things out, and uh, I came across a handwritten card uh, from one of my kids, one of my girls, uh, I have uh, a, a lot of those things. I'm kind of a sucker for things like that. I probably have too many because I don't ever want to throw them away, but this, this particular card wasn't uh, for Father's Day, it wasn't for my birthday, it wasn't for Christmas or anything like that. It's, it's a unique purpose was unlike all of those other things. The front of it said, welcome back from Corona time. Welcome back from Corona time. The font, for the words, Corona time, was meticulously reproduced from that uh, famous brand of beer, by the way, it was impressive, and then inside the card, it it simply said, we missed you. I got that card in early April 2020 for reasons that you are probably uh, able to guess right before Palm Sunday uh, 2020, at the front end of that surreal time that we all lived through where everything was kind of shut down or mostly for real shut down. One of those evenings I was watching the the director's cut of all three of the Lord of the Rings movies with my girls because what else were we gonna do, you know? And about midway through one of them, I started to get chills like I had never had before. I started to get a fever. And this was uh, long before you could just run out and get a test, long before you could just drive through somewhere and they tell you what was what. I, I did what they told me that I was supposed to do. I holed up in my bedroom for 10 days by myself. And I know some of you know that was like because what it was like because you, you had to do it too. You did do it too. One of the most moving notes I got during those early months of the pandemic was actually from one of you. Church, it was this guy who uh, he got sick and he quarantined in his home. He was pretty sick and just as he was a, about to be ready to emerge uh, from that quarantine, his spouse got sick and they were, uh, they were separated for even longer. It was just the two of them in that house, the same house apart from one another but alone for several weeks and his description of their long coming reunion and how they felt when they finally were able to touch each other to embrace each other. was pretty beautiful. And it was beautiful because we are not meant to be apart. None of us. And to be, be restored to one another is to return to life as life was always meant to be. So of course, I keep that card for my daughter. I have great affection for the sentiment of it. And church, like I suggested last week, this kind of thing, this kind of thing is, is a window into the healing work of Jesus. When Jesus heals someone, he's not putting on a show as amazing as they all would have been to see. When Jesus heals someone, he's not trying to make a name for himself even though people couldn't keep their mouths shut about it, even after he said, please don't say anything. When Jesus heals someone, he is restoring them to what they were always meant to be. He is restoring them to the life that he has made them for. He's not breaking the natural order of things with some strange and foreign power. He's causing the true order of things to be seen and experienced in the middle of the brokenness and the disintegration of this fallen place. Jesus' healings are pictures of the kingdom of heaven and they are promises of that kingdom. And there are very few places where people like us can see that more clearly than in that first healing we just read about a couple minutes ago. Behold, Matthew says, a leper came and knelt down before him. Now, Matthew has already told us that Jesus has healed people. He did that back in the middle of uh, chapter 4, I think. He just said, just in general, Jesus healed people of their diseases. But this is the first healing that he tells us about in detail. The first specific one, and that behold at the front end of it, is Matthew's way of making sure he's caught our eye. Look at this, he's saying, pay attention to this one because it's important. In the first century, uh, leprosy was a, was a catch-all term for uh, really any kind of disfiguring disease of the skin. It didn't have to mean what we call Hansen's disease, although it surely would have included that. But the truth is nobody cared what particular condition this man had. What they cared about is that he would stay far, far, far away from them. There's no way for me to possibly overstate the horror with which this man would have been viewed by the people around Jesus. And the ritual law around him, the religious law around him and and people like him, it was very, very clear they were not allowed to live anywhere near a city, not anywhere near a town, a village, an encampment, nowhere near where the general population was. Their condition meant total banishment from the rest of the population until whatever they had cleared up and a priest could declare them fit to return. And those were the fortunate ones, of course, the ones who had a condition that would eventually clear up on its own. But church so many called lepers in the first century. So many lived apart from family and friends and neighbors for their whole lives. It's difficult to imagine what it would be like, right, to be viewed not as a a human person, but instead as a vector of death. I don't want to imagine it. I'd rather not. The disintegration of the self that would occur in that person's life. The self-loathing, the loneliness, the fear, the sadness, the anger. But church, we have to imagine all of that. We have to imagine all of that swirling around this man in front of Jesus in order to fully understand what Jesus does for him and, and how Jesus does it for him. Matthew makes sure that we know as Jesus came down from the mountain after preaching what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the great crowds followed him. And the appearance of this man, the appearance of this man just coming out somewhere in the wilderness between the mountain and the city of Capernaum, Would have sent a ripple of panic through the crowd around Jesus. Had he come too close to them? Are they now in danger? What is this guy going to do to Jesus? What is he going to do to us? But he just kneels on the ground in front of Jesus and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This is so remarkable, I think, first because he uses that ritual word, clean. Because that's what he wants to be. He wants to be clean. He doesn't say, Jesus, you, you could heal me if you wanted to. He doesn't say, Jesus, you could take away all of my afflictions if you wanted to. He says, Jesus, you can make me clean if you want to. To be healed would be great. But to be clean would be so much more than that. It's to have a shot at life again. Not only with physical health, but with all the other stuff that makes life life with family and friends and neighbors and work and play and worship in the synagogue. And maybe who knows, maybe one day I could walk down to the temple, see what that's like. To be healed would mean the restoration of his skin. To be clean, would be the restoration of his life. And it's remarkable because he doesn't ask Jesus to do it, not directly. He approaches Jesus with a a beautiful deference, a very beautiful deference that I guess would have had to have come because he was such an outsider. And this happens a lot in the Gospels Church. Um, It happens a lot. And you can just read, read through one of them and see. The more on the outside you are, the more on uh, the margins of respectable society you find yourself, the more likely you are to see Jesus with clarity and to run towards him for help. Makes me want to shake off all of my stupid pretense (laughs) when I think about that. Makes me want to stop faking like I have it all together We'd all be healthier, uh, we'd be stronger, we'd be more whole, I think, if we could all get to the place where we would be happy to admit that we need the man who said that he came for those who are not well. And for his part, this guy just wants Jesus to know that, that he doesn't see him as an itinerant wonder worker, throwing out candy like a politician at a parade. He wants Jesus to know he knows who he is. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't think he had all his Trinitarian theology worked out in that moment. I don't think he could have said a, a Nicene doctrine of the person of Jesus in that moment, but he calls him Lord and in a way that goes way beyond being polite. And This is part of the point that Matthew is making in telling the story just like this and in the one that is to come. It's a point about the nature of faith in Christianity. Faith is not simply an acceptance that there is more out there than we can see. I know generally in culture we call someone a person of faith. That's kind of what we're saying. They they see other than material things and give it credence. But Christian faith isn't that. Christian faith isn't the acknowledgement that there's a God even, or even that this God might mean good for us. Christian faith is resting all of our hope in Jesus of Nazareth, because he is the one who has made God known to us. Christian faith says, listen, man, if we're going to be healed, if we're going to be forgiven, if we're going to be restored, if any of us are going to be brought safely home in the end, it will be because Jesus has done those things. Jesus is the one who has secured all of that for us. It will be because of Jesus' mercy and grace. Lord, if, if you will, you can make me clean. And after the statement of faith, Jesus does two things. First, he stretched out his hand and touched him. I don't know how to put this delicately, so I will not put it delicately. delicately. Jesus was not supposed to do that. Jesus was not supposed to touch him. Jesus was not supposed to touch anyone who was unclean because it would make him unclean. But Jesus does what he wants. His humility is palpably disarming. But even so, as he strode around the Holy Land, and as he strolled around the environs of the Holy Land, he did it like he owned the place, and it was no act. He touched that man. And you can almost hear a gasp from the crowd. It's easy to figure that some of the people in that crowd thought Jesus is out of his mind. It's easy to figure that some of the people in that crowd thought this is the last time I'm following that guy anywhere. And I just want to say what I hope is obvious from this. Jesus was willing to pay a high price to heal. A really high price the highest and the people there don't know the half of it. I mean, that's the meaning of the cross of Jesus church. He takes from us our profound unwellness and all of the sin that caused it. And he puts it on his back and he dies under the weight of it. And in return, he gives us his life and health and rightness forever. That's Jesus work for people like you and me. He restores us to life and health, and peace with the Father. He restores us back into what we were meant to be, and he's doing it for the whole created order. Through the cross of Jesus, the Apostle Paul says, God reconciles all things to himself, and it did not matter to him what it cost him, and he did not care how it made him look. He touched that guy. And the second thing he do do was, was to say, Oh, I will be clean. (laughs) And there's no ritual, no elaborate rite, no secret formulas. In less than a moment, this guy is cleansed. And Jesus tells him to go to a priest and get the needed approval to return to life. An outsider healed and made clean and restored. And Matthew, and he keeps his foot on the gas barreling from one outsider to another, Jesus gets to Capernaum and a Roman centurion approaches him. And I guess if you had to rank outsiders, if you had to make a list of outsiders, then then a Roman soldier might only be slightly less of an outsider, slightly less on the margins than a leper, but in a very, very different way. It's close between these two guys. like Matthew is playing a game of would you rather with very bad options. He wants us to get the point. I mean the centurion has infinitely more status than that leper does by one way of looking at things because he is part of the occupying force. (laughs) He represents the immense power and control of the empire. And so people would have gotten out of his way. When he walked through, they would make room for him. They'd show him respect, but the things that made them do that were also precisely the things that made him an object of their disdain and their hatred too. Because this guy was the enemy. And that's not a metaphor. He just was the enemy and that's the truth and everybody knew it. And maybe that's why he approached Jesus with the deference of a leper. Not with a request, but obliquely with a story to tell Jesus. My servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly, and there is no hesitation from Jesus. I will come and heal him. Now, grammatically, uh, it's interesting to note that you could read what Jesus said there also as a question. You know, like, shall I come and heal him? But either way you take it, we're still in the same spot. I still have to say that there is no delicate way to put this. Jesus was not supposed to go to a Gentile guy's house. He's not supposed to walk into a pagan guy's house because it would make him unclean. Why would a teacher on the rise like Jesus, this rising star, why would he ever make such a suggestion? Why would he ever countenance walking into this guy's house, a pagan, and if that wasn't bad enough, an enemy? Why would he do it? Why would he even say he was going to do it? Well, maybe one thing is that he had just taught about it. For Jesus, it it isn't enough just to tolerate an enemy or to make way for them when they walk by or even to show them a little bit of grudging respect. For Jesus, none of that is enough. Love your enemies. That's what Jesus said. And he was about ready to put flesh and blood on that teaching, but it was a non-starter. The centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. I don't know why he said that. I wonder why he said that. Was he just uh, admirably watching out for Jesus' reputation like he knew Jesus wasn't supposed to come? Or did this guy whose way in the world was backed by power and incredible violence feel a little weird about the thought of Jesus coming in and being with him? Or maybe when he looked at Jesus like so so many else were, he was overcome by who he really was. I don't know. I don't know, but I do know that here for a second time, Jesus is called Lord, which is a very, very weird thing for a Roman centurion to say to a member of the subjugated class. He calls him Lord. These two outsiders, the leper, the centurion, they are the first two people in Matthew's gospel to call him Lord. And this guy has it all worked out. Only say the word, just say it, Jesus, and and my servant will be healed. Like the leper, he saw who Jesus was and he wanted Jesus to know, I see it. Listen, I'm a man under authority too. I've got soldiers under me. I say, come and go, and they come and go. But of course, he's not, he's not talking about soldiers when it comes to Jesus. He's talking about paralysis and horrible suffering. He's talking about a physical disability. Do you hear that, church? He has no reason at all, none. He cannot think of one reason that paralysis would not listen to Jesus if he talked that suffering would not listen to Jesus if Jesus spoke to suffering. It is a breathtaking thing for him to say. But you don't have to take my word for it because that's what Jesus said. He marveled. He marveled. And he said, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. (laughs) He's not talking about how how articulate the soldier was. He's not talking about how much theology the soldier knew. He wasn't talking about how many quiet times the soldier had that week. What Jesus is talking about, what he is commending, is a nothing held back, no strings attached, fully open-handed faith in him. Not faith in him as a good teacher, a good example, or as an inspiration. The soldier had faith in Jesus as the one who has authority over everything. He had faith in Jesus that there was nothing in the created order that would not listen to him if he spoke. And Jesus responds in a way that makes it crystal clear that this is precisely what he is marveling about. Let it be done for you as you have believed. He's like, look at me man, it's just like you think it is. In that very moment, the servant was healed. And at the risk of being really on the nose, um, which is probably okay for a preacher to be from time to time, this is exactly the kind of faith that you and I are called to have, precisely this. The faith that says if we're gonna be healed, if we're going to be forgiven, if any of us are ever going to be restored to the life that God meant for us in the first place, if any of us are going to be brought safely home in the end, it will be because Jesus in love love, has done all of this for us. The faith that we are called to is a faith that rests solely in him that says there is nothing, nothing that stands against us that will not listen to Jesus. When he speaks to them, not even our own pride, not even our own wandering away, not even our own shaking of our fists. Everything will listen to him. And to follow him in faith is to be the object of that healing, and the object of that restoration, and the object of that forgiveness. And then it is to be swept up into the ongoing story of him extending that healing and restoration. And forgiveness with us and through us for the life of this whole world. Let me pray for us, Father. We ask that you would uh, that you would do whatever it is that you need to do for and through and in people like us to have us have faith that is just a, like an inkling, like that centurion did. <laughs> that we would rest wholly in you like children, that we would believe uh, fully, not only with our heads, but with every part of who we are, with all of our intentions and our loves, that we would believe with every part of who we are that there is not one part of this created order that will not listen to your son. Father, we ask that you would do this so that we could grow up in our faith and mature in our faith. We ask that you would do this so that we can be a part of this. A part of extending your healing and forgiveness and grace and mercy into the broken world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.